High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, Russian generals, Cuban colonels, all my other fellow comrades. Oh, and an extra special secret shout-out to you wolverines out there fighting for our freedom in the hills. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And the party's at my place this evening. But first, school, your sophomore year, is still in session. So let's chat about your homework. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. First, of course, a gentle reminder. Wherever you're listening to us right now, whether that be Google Play, whether that be Spotify, whether that be Stitcher, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Make sure that you're subscribed. If not, hit that subscribe button. And you know what? Do me one better. Give High School Slumber Party a five-star rating. And you know what? Do me one better. Write High School Slumber Party a pleasant and uplifting review. And you know what? Do me one even better than that. Tell a friend about all the wonderful things that are happening on High School Slumber Party. It's a free podcast. That's all I ask of you and for you to do your homework, and for you to listen to me, and for you to tell John Cusack to stop blocking us on Twitter. It's been like two years, man. Anyway, I digress. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. Your other homework, of course, was to watch today's movie, Red Dawn. And I'm just going to warn you, it is a controversial one. It is one that some people have said is political, or it has a message. We discussed that here. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not, but I watched it through the lens of just me having fun, watching high school films, that's what I do on this show. So we're not going to go into big political discord, but we can't help it with this kind of film. I digress. But you know what, if you have a problem with how this episode sounds, mm, there's a way you can contact me. You can email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com, or you can hit our social media up. I'm talking about Facebook, I'm talking about Instagram, I'm talking about Twitter. Follow us, like us there, and you know what? Tell me whatever you want to tell me. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. Oh, one thing too. Thank you for that participation, because last week, for our episode on The Girl Next Door, with Wesley Vina as a guest, a lot of participation on social media. I loved it. Thank you so much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Peter Kavinsky. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Remember that. Wait a minute. 
I think I see a hand in the back of the classroom. Oh my god! You're here in the classroom. Kyle Reinfried of Foodie Films. And P.S. I love Hoffman. Don't want to forget that. How you been? What What are you up to? Uh, sorry, I was asleep in the back of the classroom. I like curling up in the back, pulling the hoodie over my head. But uh, Wait, I that's been up. you for weeks? <laughs> yeah. You believe it or not, I just have a uh, a whole system of you know food in my little in my backpack and just been living off of lifesaver mints and uh, we might a jug. We... I'll just leave it at I have a jug to do things in. <laughs> uh, quick question: Were you a Lunchables guy? Yes or no? Uh, I I ate them, but I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't pro Lunchables. <laughs> you wouldn't call yourself a Lunchables guy? No, no, I wasn't. It, it, <laughs> the, the the meat aspect of it was disgusting. <laughs> it was a very uh, the day I opened up my lunch bag and it was Lunchables. I was not a happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, we've ever talked about this, but like in college, so not I mean, this is also, also I'd like to say that that was not in high school though. Since you have a high school, that's a, I feel like that was maybe a foodie question, but that wasn't like I, I that was never a situation in high school. By the no. time of high school, I was making my own lunches or or purchasing in the cafeteria. Fair, fair. Uh, but so in college, um, you know, you have this newfound freedom. You can go to bed whenever you want. Not that you couldn't in high school, but you know what it is. You're like living with your parents. Yeah. Um, but in college, it was like, yeah, I could walk to Seven Eleven at two in the morning if I wanted to. So, like, I'd be up, and I'd walk to 7-Eleven, and I'd get things, and I started getting Lunchables. <laughs> and one day I got Lunchables, and I noticed that the fridge felt warm, and I noticed, not hot, you know, I want to be clear. Yeah. It just was, the temperature was a little off, and I noticed the Lunchables was a little off, but I was like, whatever, right? Oh uh-huh. my god, I got so violently Ugh. ill, and I'll never have Lunchables Ugh. again. Yeah, I just, yeah, I haven't had Lunchables <laughs> since... Probably, <laughs> if uh, fifth grade, the latest, probably more like fourth grade. So I have to ask, what uh, wakes you from your slumber in the back of the classroom? You're raising your hand. What's up? I mean, I feel like you know you were talking a couple of movies recently that I, 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 you know, that were one a big part of my childhood, one in the formative exploratory sexual years. I don't know. Uh, and I'm 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 intrigued by them, and I I just like to I like to talk. I know I wasn't the guest. I'm not trying to make it make it about me, but I I feel like I have some things to share. Maybe. Okay, cool. So, uh, what movies uh, tickled your fancy recently? Well, Surf Ninjas. Wow. So for, that, so for that, and both of these you had. I mean, high school buddies of mine on. I mean, obviously you're my high school buddy, but on that one it was Chris Carroll, right? And. Uh, uh, and Surf Ninjas, man, was I all about Surf Ninjas. Kwon Su, dude, like, I was, <laughs> I wanted that headband so bad. I feel like I could easily get it now with online shopping. So, I wanted <laughs> Probably. Real, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that movie, to me, was just, like, bad ass. And hilarious. And the I was totally into the the girl that was in. I thought she was absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, and that movie just like landed perfectly well with me. When it was that was a that I I can't tell you how many times I watched that. I owned I owned multiple. I know I had I had one like taped like anytime I played on TV I taped it for some reason, uh, and then I owned it like on VHS as well. It's a movie again. I said it on the podcast, but like. 
a lot of people of our, I don't even want to say generation, I want to literally say like our age, know and love that movie. The feedback we got was awesome, but it was just from a select group of people born probably between 1986 and 1988. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> no. didn't Mr. Ernie Reyes himself like something that you Oh, you're seen, right. right, yeah. That's Ernie, amazing. Ernie Reyes Jr., who was and like he, yeah. the lead and jacked. And he, was, he, was, he was sick for a while, so I'm glad to see he's doing Oh, that. really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he had some, I don't want to misspeak. I know he had some health problems. Maybe it was like heart related, um, but I know. Yeah, I know. For a while, he was actually not doing too well. So oh well, to see you know, we wish he's... him all the love. I didn't know that. So yeah, but that was just yeah that movie. I mean, I even when I went to Thailand, like I pat, I didn't get to like go on to like the islands, but like on this one boat tour going to this one other island they're like yeah like that's where they film surf ninjas i'm like oh my god wow it was just that was a i I mean rob schneider in the movie's hilarious i mean ernie reyes just plays ernie reyes jr plays like such like a just a great teenager that like that really between that and full house like boy was i into the beach boys because (laughs) that was just yeah bob aran i don't know i don't know if you heard but on the podcast Chris said that he didn't realize that was an actual song. That he thought he thought it was from this movie. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, like that 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 aspect of it. Uh, there's a couple of foodie scenes I should talk about, like in uh, famous foodie scenes. I mean, there's that whole restaurant sequence. Yeah. The Matt Mac, right? The adoptive father, which always just even as a kid, I was just like, wait, so there was this white guy that was like a loyal, like like fisherman slash like <laughs> kind of. Secu- I was always very. It was a very intriguing movie to me. This fake country. I don't know. I felt like they like there was a really interesting world building going on. It was just a movie that always piqued my interest. Like when he finally, I forget what like famous like. Like, doesn't that start playing when he pulls out the sword? And, like, he even does, like, I am sorrow. Like, he just... Ernie Reyes Jr. was just having a blast in that movie. And then I didn't know as a kid, like, of course, I'm sure if I paid attention to the credits, like, I didn't know that was his father until at least I was probably, like, a teenager. I'm like, well, that's awesome. Like... And yeah, just a... I, I love that movie. And, and they covered it on how did this get made. And I'm like, I understand sometimes they do like movies like ironically but not that this is because it's not like this is a movie like there's certain movies i shouldn't say ironically that that show particularly started with like certain movies like yeah how did this get made yeah that's the title yeah like really truly like how like really thinking about it but then they just start going like this is a silly movie like you know like i mean they covered jingle all the way like to me that there's it it makes sense that that was made at that time of like course, Arnold Schwarzenegger holiday movie comedy Sinbad, like that 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 makes sense. So it's not like how you know there would be more interesting. Like actually, if they covered like Apocalypse Now with hearing all the problems that they had on set, like how did they get that get made? Yeah, like, it's not lead, like that wasn't you know? it. It's like not like hmm, how did this but, get made? Because it's what an undertaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But like, but but uh, but point being that. Um, when they're covered, when they were talking about it, I was just like, they don't get this movie, and it's it is because they are I don't know exactly their ages, like early forties, mid forties. Oh yeah, definitely. So it's just like yeah, they just didn't like it. Just it was a perfect to me a perfect film for us to see when we were or just a kid of the nineties to see. Oh, absolutely, we had a blast talking about it. Um, any other movies recently? Uh, you know, piqued your interests because I, I saw a couple of likes come your way on on another film on like, yes. social media. 
Well, okay. That's <laughs> not I mean and you and you as well for this episode for this particular movie got quite a lot of likes, which is always good, but man, The Girl Next Door, that movie, what that came out in 2004, I want to say. Yeah. Um that was just like I I I still really I think it's a really good movie. Um it was my introduction to Emil Hirsch. To I guess that was kind of like the second thing I saw Timothy Oliphant in because the first thing I saw him was Scream Two. Mm. Unfortunately, not a movie you can cover because it's college years. Nope. Uh, and then of course, of course, and you said you've heard it pronounced a couple different ways. I always said uh, Alicia Cuthbert. That's yeah, the way and I I'm pretty say. sure it's Alicia now. Um, I, I've checked with a couple people, up, so sorry if I mispronounced your name. But yeah, I mean, whoa, I, I, maybe it's her. I'm not sure, but. Our social media, especially Instagram, blew up on the images for uh, The Girl Next Door. And so many people had feedback. So many people were responding about that film that, yeah, I'd seen it like once before and I'd liked it. But again, I think maybe for a certain generation, that was a, a big movie. And it had so much more heart that film than I expected. I expected like a kind of American pie raunch fest, but it actually turned out to be again, in my opinion, a lot better. It's, it's no, it definitely is like, like thought provocative and, you know, at, at, at times, like it isn't just, yeah, like that era. I mean, I guess America, I mean, well, American pies continued obviously with American wedding and then reunion, but like the nineties had gone by, but even still like the mid two thousands, like, I don't, I don't even know, like what were the big, you know, no, it was kind of a lull. Um, our guest, Wesley Vina, who you know as well, kind of hypothesized that maybe people were just kind of tired of these kind of films at that point because it did not do well, uh, okay. the, the film. Yeah, but I, yeah, I just think it's, I think it is a really good film. I think it's really good performances. Um, you know, it definitely has its, like, crazy moments, and but she is just, absolutely just one of the most gorgeous people (laughs) ever just i mean i i actually i saw her in person long story short when i when i was down in the bahamas working on a gig uh it was a celebrity poker tournament and then i guess when some of them would lose or maybe it was done for the day then they were playing they were out and about in the on the uh, casino floor and she was at a blackjack table next to me, but um, at the table I was sitting at, I sat down, and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh shit, that's Ricky Lake to my left." And then all of a sudden, like while I was looking at her, I like felt a presence to my right, and this one person put Vern Troyer on the table, and then they got a specific chair for him to sit in, the late Vern Troyer. So I played blackjack between Ricky Lake and Vern Troyer, and Alicia Cuthbert being at the table to my left, and I, you know, I was. I was looking and I was I was under uh under the influence so I'm sure I wasn't uh you know suave or uh <laughs> coy about it and uh I I believe when I told you this before 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 uh you know recording this that it was her hockey player boyfriend which I now I think is her hu- husband and father of chi- her, their children Yes, I so, believe. Though she's dated hockey players before that, but we're not going to get into that on this episode. No, but he <laughs> gave me a look that I went, "Oh no!" <laughs> so I just then focused on my cards, and that was the end of that. But I was just, I was s- struck by 
her. It was, Even so, was, in real life, she was just as beautiful to you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. And you know, I, I th- yeah, I think she's on that uh, Netflix show. No, I don't think I know now. Like, but like, I I don't watch it. But that rant, rant show with. Ashton uh, Kutcher. Yeah, The Ranch. And, I haven't seen it either, but I mean, it looks very like throwback comedy. I think there's like a laugh track. Yeah, and which such, so. yeah, which I'm just not into. So I mean, I, I was I really... into it. I'm not into modern ones. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, I'm no Big Bang Theory. No, how, how I Met Your Mother. No, thank you. I'm not. You know. You know the... <laughs> By the way, I don't want you telling me if you beat Ricky Lake at blackjack until we do the original hairspray on this podcast so. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so so save that story for that time definitely um yeah i mean i don't know i guess we hit a couple films in a row that you enjoyed and i'm happy to hear it uh maybe i don't know maybe it is because i've had mutual friends on recently and that's why but uh so yeah i appreciate you raising your hand and sharing those stories with us little show and tell here yeah no the, uh, i mean obviously my those are some uh friend high school friends of mine as guests but yeah these are just two movies that um i really enjoyed that i saw when they were you know brand new and i uh i haven't i haven't watched in a while um probably revisit surf ninjas first <laughs> I, want, I just want to watch a silly silly movie um and yeah that was just uh th- thanks thanks for having me on to t- talk about those uh those those moments but they are you know i mean you've had me on as a guest for some of these netflix mo- high school movies but those are definitely like high school movies that uh you know were more in my wheelhouse of seeing when i was younger than high school or in high school and so just yeah, yeah, that, that's like when the worlds merged, you know, yes. like high school films when you were in high school, as you said. Well, again, thanks for your class participation. Um, obviously, you know, we can check you out on Foodie Films, which I've been on a ton, and you could check both of us out, guys, on P.S. I Love Hoffman, P.S. I Still Love Hoffman, both on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And Kyle, I got a treat for you today. Ooh. Guess what? Another one of your friends is on this episode. You were the best man at his wedding. That is Dirty Dan Ferrara. Today, <laughs> dirty. What did he do? <laughs> I don't know. It just sounded like a good nickname. Yep, he's here to talk about one of his favorite films, a controversial one, but I'm excited to talk about it. It's Red Dawn. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sitting over Brian's because we're about to get our party on. Are you ready you're for this, rebellion Kyle? Rebellion on. You're rebellion. <laughs> yeah, we're about to get the rebellion on. <laughs> Class dismissed. As you know, always a pleasure. I think we're gonna have a good, a good time today. I hope you have your weapons cache somewhere. I think when you first proposed this whole podcast, 
I think this was the first movie I said I wanted to do with you. I think this might have been like the first two words that came out of your mouth, you know? <laughs> How could it not be? <laughs> <laughs> well, it has its detractors, but we'll get into it. Today we're talking about Red Dawn, and to be clear, guys, it's the 1984 Red Dawn, not the whatever year the new one is. Exactly. Nobody even saw it because it's not worth <laughs> it. That's why this one has stood up so much better. Did you see the new Red Dawn? No. Why? Why would I? <laughs> like, I don't know anyone who has, to be honest yeah, it's, with you. It doesn't hold up, and there's like a lot, like we'll get into it, because there's a little bit of a deep dive. It doesn't hold up like this one does, even now, because... <laughs> I'm serious, because the, the, the geopolitics of the time make this movie. You know what I oh, mean? Absolutely. It's, this movie's still relevant at points now, because of where we are and where Russia was coming from out of Afghanistan and how they ran their operations there. And we saw a lot of the same stuff <laughs> that comes into play uh, when you have a large occupying force up against a determined local populace. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You know, this is, has to be one of the most unique movies ever made. Certainly a unique movie for this podcast. We don't talk about a lot of war films on this podcast. And it's a straight up war film. There's no ways about it. At one point uh, I was reading um, when this first came out, it was considered the most violent movie ever made at one point. I don't know how true that is, but that's what the article I was reading said. And I was really shocked, <laughs> especially like the 80s, the heart of the 80s, where like the big action movies, like, like think of Schwarzenegger and Commando and stuff like that. And then somehow Red Dawn is... You know, it's a bunch of kids, and it's this is the most violent one. <laughs> yeah, I don't buy that. Like, I kind of looked into that some more. And if you read, like, a lot of the articles that said it also gave, like, an Indiana Jones film the most violent score. And it's a come on. <laughs> I don't know. If you just go straight numbers, the body count in this movie is really high. On bo- I like- get it, yeah. No, by body count, absolutely. I think a gore film, and there certainly was plenty at the time, would be more violent than this. It's right. Not like, there's, like heads exploding no and, and, and for and for the amount of gunshots there's really minimal blood <laughs> <laughs> it's true i think that's a little bit like overblown but it certainly is violent for a high school film and speaking of high school and speaking of back in the day we can't forget about this dan you've been on the show before why don't you introduce yourself to yeah. those listening for the first time i'm glad i'm getting uh you know the spotlight of a little bit of a i'm becoming a reoccurring character so i'm, I'm yeah. happy about that i appreciate the uh, opportunity but yeah i'm a alumni yes former classmate of brian's we went to northern valley regional high school in old Japan, north jersey there go, go golden, golden knights, knights. <laughs> however i'm sure you'd rather be a wolverine you know this movie's all about the wolverines i was going to ask you this question would you get that jacket, like the Wolverine's varsity jacket. Oh, I think you have to. <laughs> if you're our age wearing a varsity jacket, no offense, guys, eh, kind of lame. But that would be cool. If I saw yeah, someone wearing that. If, if you're wearing your, your regular, like, if it's not, like, I get if it's like you're going to, like, a, a high school reunion or something like that, and it's like, hey, guys, remember? But, like, if you're, if you're just <laughs> casually, like, if I'm, if I walked into work wearing my high school varsity jacket, that doesn't exist, by the way, but theoretically, <laughs> um, that's the type of thing that screams, like, I peaked, <laughs> you know. Oh but, yeah, no. But I don't disagree with that. But yeah, Red Dawn again. It's a movie you've wanted to be on. You're here. We're gonna talk about it. A, a quite a lot of scholarship for this film, as opposed to some other films I've done on this podcast. Awesome cast. But before we get into the cast, I do this every week. I read the back of the VHS DVD. This was available in Betamax, by the way. It's the 
best analog format out there. Apparently. And that, that's why a lot of TV stations keep all their backups from back then on Betamax. It was, Makes sense. Best analog you can get out there, people. <laughs> you made the wrong choice. We all made the wrong choice. Did you make the wrong choice with HD DVD as well? Kyle convinced me that, oh, uh, that. well, I should say, he didn't convince me, but like, uh, I remember like right during those format wars with Blu-ray and HD DVD that my father was like, oh no, Sony usually, you know, picks the right side, you know, da da da, you know, Blu-ray seems to be the way to go. And at the time, I don't know what the whole deal was because I wasn't paying attention. And Kyle was convinced like, oh, Xbox plays HD DVDs and that's going to be the new format because like, you know, the youth, that's how they're going to play their it made some, I mean, viable arguments. I can't, you know, say he's wrong. But Kyle was so dead set that HD DVD was going to be the wave of the future. Which is silly because if if that's the Xbox argument, Sony Streaming. owns PlayStation, <laughs> yeah. and Sony had the, you know, the Blu-rays playing on the PlayStation Two or Three. I forgot which generation it was. But ugh, so silly, HD DVD. That wasn't even really a war, you know. That hardly lasted. It was a skirmish. <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider HD DVD the gorillas here and Blu-ray the no. invading Red Army? No, it's more like um, this HD DVD just got steamrolled. It's not like you know, it's <laughs> if you think of it almost like like the v, like the Viet Cong where you know it was a war of attrition. There's not a lot of them, but they're just making it. They know they're not going to win, but they're just going to make it really inconvenient. There wasn't even any of that. It was just like <laughs> it was France in. <laughs> in, in 1942, you know, or even uh, like gr- Grenada. It, it's fine. Yeah, it was the, it was the 48 hours of Grenada. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got it. I found a back of VHS image for Red Dawn. This is a long one, but I think this might be the original. So here goes. Red Dawn opens with one of the most shocking scenes ever filmed on a peaceful September morning. Through the windows of a high school classroom, the students see paratroopers land on the varsity football field, as opposed to the JV field, of course. The invasion of the United States has begun. As their town is occupied by foreign nationals, eight teenagers escape to the mountains. Taking the ironically appropriate name of their school team, they wage an unremitting guerrilla action in defense of their parents, their friends, and their land to the impassioned war cry, Wolverines! Director John Milius has spared no expense to bring an absolutely gripping sense of reality to the chilling action scenes. Terry J. Leonard, renowned for his work on Raiders, I'm assuming of the Lost Art, coordinated the elaborate stunts. When do you see the stunt guy featured on the back of the video? Yeah, right. That's crazy. Well, I think it was just the fact that they wanted to tie it to uh, Indiana Jones. The lighting guy worked on Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes into the cast, but I kind of want to skip that till we do our little cast segment. When it comes to thrilling entertainment, Red Dawn wins the war with a vengeance. Cool. Oh, so the back cover actually features a scene that was cut from the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the cut scenes i haven't but i, read I have about not it. yeah i know there was like a love scene and then um, we can touch on that later that got cut oh please but, uh, tell me when that love scene comes up because i have no idea about that just remind me later when we get to it right right but uh no apparently there's this scene where they just like invade a mcdonald's and take it over that would have been that should have been kept in so it was cut actually because apparently around that time there was like a mass shooting at a McDonald's. Well, good thing they just kept it to the schools. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
I mean, we could just address that. I say we like, can just, that's how the movie starts. <laughs> they, they talked about it here. It is one of the most jarring openings of a film it is. I've ever it's, it's... seen. Because the American school, especially in the middle of the United States, right. is supposed to be the most wholesome place, right? Yeah, the most yeah. wholesome. Especially, like, in the middle of, you know, what's supposed to be Colorado. Like, it's supposed to be, like, that cookie-cutter Christmas card town, you know? This, uh... You know, so we'll set the scene. Students are in school, and the history teacher is giving a lesson about how Genghis Khan, who covered most of Russia, by the way, with the Mongol horde, <laughs> would conquer lands by setting uh, pincer movements, surrounding and drowning, basically, uh, his enemies, and then extinguishing you know, the, the whole tribal until they either died or they joined him. And as he's giving this lesson, there's uh, all of a sudden they see paratroopers landing on the school's football field. Now, the great hunt would always begin with the army spread out in a semicircle, I would say about the size of Rhode Island. Then they would ride forward, driving everything before them, beasts, men, even bugs. Now, the ends would kind of close in to form a shrinking circle, and everything within that circle panicked to get out. So when the Mongols could see each other, they had worked themselves up into a pretty good frenzy. Now, when this killing started, it lasted for days, weeks, even months. And it went on until the young son of the Khan asked his father that the last creature alive be allowed to go free. Well now, my friend. Well now. Oh, check it out. All right. Look pretty cool, though, man. I would say they were way off course. This is very unusual. And at first they're like, oh, wow, you know, uh, they're thinking it's just like, you know, uh, military maneuvers by the National Guard or whatever. And the teacher's like, oh, they must be way off course. But they're clearly not American soldiers. And, you know, this sparks uh, intrigue. (laughs) So the teacher goes out to see what's going on. And I think what's so jarring about it is that we don't get any explanation. We're in the same mindset as the kids in high school. This teacher walks out to go and he says, hey, guys, and then just boom, gets lit up. He's dropped. And then the second the teacher's down, there's the kids just look out and go, oh, my God. But then no hesitation. These soldiers just light up the school. And you're seeing, I mean, again, as we said, it's not the most gruesome movie, but you are seeing kids getting shot and kids dying. We're in that same mode as the children, because like I said, there's no explanation. So these kids are going, are panicking, going, what the hell is going on? And we in the audience are going, wow, what the hell is going on? Who are these people? Why are they shooting up the school? And we piece it together as the story goes, but especially in an initial scene, you just see the panic of, well, Patrick Swayze is the older brother of these kids trying to get out of the school, jump into the older brother's truck and get the hell out. That pretty much sets the tone for this film. And it's just like in your face, you know? It is. It starts off with literally a gunshot to the face. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, whoa. 
And um, you hit on some really good, interesting points about the tone. I do want to talk about the politics of the film, but I think we'll save that towards the end because yeah, a lot of people we can have get, strong we can get really lost in the weeds on that. <laughs> Absolutely. So this film was originally written by a guy named Kevin Reynolds, who later became so- somewhat of a protege of Spielberg. And that's kind of the only reason that it was purchased. It's like, oh, if this guy wrote it, it might be a big film. It was very different. Apparently it had more of like a anti-war Lord of the Flies vibe. But when MGM purchased it, they decided to make more of like a teen Rambo sort of thing. So while it retained some of that Lord of the Flies stuff... I was going to say, because there's, there's definitely um, plot points or at least uh, talking points that... And I'll make, I'll make this... I don't want to say argument, but I'll make a, a call later on that this movie's less about war than it is about killing. And there's a big difference between that. I struggled, you know, some people say, oh, this is a super right-wing movie. In, in a weird way, it is a teenage kid's, like, fantasy. And I say that in the sense that I think, Brian, I'm sure you have, like, we've all been sitting, like, especially a like, 13, 14-year-old kid, like, right when you're in that range, you've been sitting in, like, a history class and, like, zoned out, staring out the window and had some sort of, like, what would I do if, you know, at, well, Iraq or whatever or, or Afghanistan, like, what would I do if they invade, especially with us, going into high school post-9-11 or at 9-11, I should say. That's literally yeah. our... You know, we brought that up before that, but, in, and it's like, what would I do? Like, would I fight? Would I run? Like, you know, especially, yeah, I say that's incredibly relevant for our freshman year. Cause Absolutely. You know, two day, two day, yeah. Two what? days in was, you know, September 11th, not 2001. You know, it kind of hits that nerve where I, I think, and maybe not just boys. I, I know I've definitely had that daydream or, or like that what if scenario and totally zoned out and ran with it, you know? It was so much more on people's like uh, conscious during the Cold War. So I'm sure a lot more people than even our generation had that. I don't again. I don't want to call it a fantasy, but had that. Yeah, like I said, that's the wrong wrong word for it, maybe. But that uh, fantasy seems too lighthearted. But but I think well, Cold War kind of. I feel like there was a lot of guys that or a lot of kids anyway. They're just like, yeah, you know, fucking commies. Like they had no idea what it meant. You know, it's yeah. just like it was it was very James Bond. Like, oh, yeah, you, the Russians are bad guys. That's it. You know, it's <laughs> it's the game Contra. You know, it's uh, no true. It was very black and white. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, and this is kind of a it could be a positive or a negative indictment on our society. I feel like our generation was less consumed with that or we'll say like more modern generations was less consumed with someone invading us. Certainly, like, 9-11 was a little bit of a scare, but I even don't think at the time... I think people were afraid of terrorist attacks, not like an invasion. Right. I honestly scale. think yeah. it was replaced by the, the idea that a zombie apocalypse is possible. You know? Because instead of, like, hearing, like, oh, what would you do if the Russians invaded? It was like, right. it what was, would you it, do if the zombie apocalypse Yeah, happened? so what is your zombie plan? Yeah, you know, and everybody... <laughs> you know, and zomb- it was like zombies were definitely a thing, like a trendy thing, a very MySpace, like... Seeing girl, it's like, yeah, you're right. That was always a constant discussion, and in a very similar way, you know, this isn't dissimilar from a lot of zombie movies we've seen previously. As far as you know, and going back to you know, it was always a symbolism for communism. Going back to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, it's so it's it's very relevant that it's similar to a zombie film in the way it's laid out, and very similar in the sense that like, oh, what would you do in this invasion sense? You know, so it yeah, maybe there's a running thread there. But I guess, you know, I, I kind of wanted to put the politics off, but I don't think we can to a full extent for a couple of reasons. Yes, you're right. A lot of people have said this is like a conservative's wet dream. 
Um, some people have gone as far to say that this is American propaganda. And where I agree in some parts, I also have, you know, I don't know, arguments. I am not like a neoconservative or anything like that. But And I did enjoy this film. I didn't really see it as like justification for anything because at the end of the day, I know it's like high concept war scenarios. And at the end of the day for me, it is like about like teenagers, you know? Right, right. One of the things that you mentioned zombie and I thought that like, huh, this is interesting. A lot of these movies that depict like communists or Russians depict them so zombie-like in a sense. They're just like nameless, faceless people. And one of the counter arguments for me saying like, oh, this is just propaganda, is that they do try to at least create some of the like, like the Cuban and Russian characters, like storylines for them, you know, like personalities. Well, They're not just I, nameless and faceless. And I don't mean to, to cut you off there, but like what I find so interesting between those two particular characters, what is it, Colonel like Strenlinkov or whatever, the like the real Russian dude who kind of looks like Putin yeah. with a beard, um, <laughs> him and the the Cuban colonel. I, I'm terrible with these names. Bella, I think his name was. Yeah, Bella. It's two very different theaters of communism or how they two very different upbringings of how they got to communism and i think that's incredibly interesting because the russian colonel comes in and it's very mechanical it is very cold hard everything's about you know it's the party just do it just do it they're not you know they're not people it's 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 a speed bump it's not a person you know just kill them what's the problem and the cuban colonel he comes up and he says he's like i'm usually the one on the side of the rebels because coming up, you know, he was fighting, you know, you figure they came up through Venezuela, through, through Mexico. And it's like, you know, he was in Nicaragua fighting the American back Contras. You know, this, this is where Ollie North gets involved. You know, it's, <laughs> he's the one that's more relatable to our little band of teenagers because this is what he's been doing his whole life. It's only once they connected with full force of the, of the Russian army that they are now a professional military unit and not just a, a, a band of rebels. Absolutely. Like, I pictured this guy, like, fighting with Che in Africa. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, this guy was, like, helping trying to lead revolutions, communist revolutions around the world. And now he's here part of the institution. And I'm not saying the Americans aren't an institution either, but certainly the Wolverines, you know, he can, he can right. really relate to them. Just, you know, with the politics of this too, just to kind of set our tone, it's something where I did not watch this today as a political movie. I think you can read into it how you want, but another argument for me to say that this is not like just this uber conservative piece, like we all need guns and stuff like that, is that the Wolverines are just a very small segment of the town. It's not like the entire town rebelled. Most of the town, and I get why, you know, there's a whole army there, but most of the town was pacified. <laughs> As we learn later, and we'll talk about it, there are people who are informants and co-conspirators. Like any invasion, like any war, like the sides get blurry. Of course, and even, like I said, like even with, uh, like you said, co-conspirators, it's, it's people do what they need to where they think their best chance of survival lives. It's not always loyalty to your country more than, you know, loyalty to say your family or I'm just covering my own ass. You know, it's lines get blurred when it comes to 
you know, something like that. And it's, what's it betraying my country when it means my family, like, you know, where's my loyalty lie to my country or to my family? Am I doing the wrong thing by protecting my children or, or should I, you know what I mean? It's, you know, it does a very good job of seeing why people make certain decisions and seeing how those decisions play out and how much can you, to- how much do you tolerate that? And where's your line? Where's your own personal line? It's kind of becomes like a human being story rather than a big war story. And I think what helps with that too, is that, yeah, we get these little details here or there of what actually is happening, but we don't even know the full truth. We don't even get a map, you know? Mm. We can draw one in our head from from hearsay, but really we don't know. So this is something that's going to kind of counter my argument that this is not uh, conservative propaganda, but when this got picked up by MGM, one of the reasons it got picked up was that uh, Alexander Haig, former general but he served as Nixon's chief of staff, and he later served as Ronald Reagan's secretary of state. In the in-between period, he was on the board of MGM, actually, and <laughs> he resume. loved this. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you? Apparently, I was, I was like, this is a rabbit hole I went down. <laughs> like, his, re- despite being like an al- the supreme Allied commander for Europe at a certain point like during the cold war and uh that got really stressful he needed to blow off some steam and just i'm gonna go to hollywood for a little bit <laughs> well apparently like his i know i'm like probably overblowing a little bit i'm not his biographer but from what i read his dream was just like retire from the military and make movies <laughs> you know and he kept getting called back into service with like reagan and nixon but like <laughs> you know he, he kind of got his chance here and he tried to he tried to really put his fingerprints on this film. I'm not sure how much of that came through, but it's just interesting to know that someone like that was kind of behind this. It's really funny you mentioned that, and I don't—I have no idea if one has anything to do with the other. And I'm sitting there watching this, and my first thought, because there's a lot of military equipment in this movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. it's a, You're talking about it. And it's all correct, more or less. I'm like, where the hell were these guys able to get this much Russian armor? <laughs> you know, like as far as like the tanks, the, you know, the, the troop carriers, the trucks and all that. And uh, I'm like, you need to have like a connection. Like even the two uh, like Stoyu's helicopters. You know, it's like, how do you get that? <laughs> makes I, sense. I don't know. But it apparently... makes sense when your, your general is your uh, producer. <laughs> apparently they built everything themselves. Really? Which is crazy to think about. So much so that the CIA paid them a visit on the set, particularly how... in regard to the tanks. How'd you get it so, so right? <laughs> yeah, they were so accurate. They were asking, like, who did you pay off to get Soviet tanks? Well, honestly, my whole thought... And again, maybe some we'll touch on later because there is so many similarities between the events of this movie and kind of how Russia went down in Afghanistan in the 80s. And I'm sitting there like, well, I guess like my first I was like, I guess they just had equipment laying around in Afghanistan. They could just pay whoever to bring it over. <laughs> you know, it's just sitting there. <laughs> I <laughs> but, mean, maybe. And it's it's even funnier that you mentioned that CIA looked into him because the guy who played the Russian colonel, Strelnikov. In real life, that dude was a, a Russian intercept interrogator for the oh, CIA. Really? So he would be on like the lines, like listening for Russian messages and like interrogating people that were receiving them and stuff. And I'm glad you brought him up because I do want to talk about this cast because this is a, to me, like a really amazing cast, especially for the time. It caught that wave early, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it- <laughs> 
First of all, you have, you know, and he's not a high school student, but I think he's a recent he's, high school graduate. He's, right? he's the older brother, so he's probably like 19. He just graduated, you know. Even and, you and lost a game once. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's like the wind, of course. We're talking about Patrick Swayze, the late, great Patrick Swayze. He does an awesome job. And I thought it was funny that Jennifer Grey is also in this film. And they later, of course, go on to make Dirty Dancing together. Yeah, apparently they did not get along each other really yeah i was reading it. it's like they didn't get along till the very they shot the very last scene with her i guess that one because it was a more emotional scene they finally like got over it <laughs> so they were yeah. able to do dirty dancing later on because of it jennifer gray not i don't think a household name today but if you think about all the stuff in like this era red dawn well red dawn ferris bueller mm. and dirty dancing like she had a, like a nice little moment here she also allegedly I guess it was manslaughter, killed someone with Matthew Broderick. Yeah, with Matthew Broderick in Ireland. <laughs> right, in Ireland. I, but... di- I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that on our Ferris Bueller episode. But for today, there's enough killing that we don't need to go into that thing. Again, and who knows? I-, I promise you guys, the Ferris Bueller episode is not mainly going to be about that. Speaking of controversy, another person in this film, C. Thomas Howell, plays uh, Robert Morris. And I, when I say C. Thomas Howell... I always think of The Soul Man. Have you seen The Soul Man? I have not, actually. I want you to go on your phone, go on your computer right now, and I want you to Google search The Soul Man with C. Thomas Howell. Uh, is this like the, the blackface movie? <laughs> yes, yes. He, okay. He, he decides to go for a black scholarship, so he paints right. himself black, and he fools even the black people on campus. That, <sighs> so, <laughs> I, I've talked about Soul Man on here before. It's a college movie, so we won't get into it. Just anytime I see C. Thomas Howell, that's, that's, <laughs> that's where it goes. I say yeah. it uh, again. People don't forget the whole blackface stuff. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> that's, not. that's really that's a really hard vibe to shake. <laughs> but everyone here again has been in like other big high school movies. I think C. Thomas Howell's from Camp Me Love. Leah Thompson, of course, is in this film. She plays Erica. She's the mom in Back to the Future. You know, she's not mom. You know, everyone's seen Back to the Future. I don't have to talk about that. But she's, she's great. She's she's still great. She's still, I mean, she looks fantastic. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Her, her character arc, there's stuff I caught watching this movie older that I didn't get when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, and because, I mean, realistically, she only has like three lines to the whole movie before the ending monologue. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, there was things I noticed for the first time here as well with her character. But, you know, we'll talk about it mm-hmm. a little bit more. Charlie Sheen, his first acting role ever. This is before he shot his commanding officer in Vietnam. Oh, I thought you were going to say his veins up. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he plays Matt, Jed's brother. So, you know, we have some other actors here there. I mentioned Jennifer Grey. Um, Darren Dalton plays Daryl Bates, and Brad Savage plays Danny. They're not too famous, I don't believe, unless you know them from something. No, I mean this. <laughs> <laughs> A couple other people I want to mention are the adults. Powers Booth plays Tanner, the, what is he, an Air Force guy who, who lands? Yeah, yeah, he gets shot down. and <laughs> I love that he specifically mentions, he's like, F-15s, he's like, I'm an Eagle driver. Because, like, at the time, that was, despite what Top Gun says, the F-15 was, like, the new high-tech like, jet fighter. It's, it's like us talking about the F-22, but maybe not so much the F-35, because that was a bunch of money that never worked. But anyway, <laughs> that's one great scene. He's explaining, Patrick Swayze's, Swayze's like, you know, Jed, he's like, how'd you get yourself shot down? And he's like, I was in a dogfight, you know, and it was uh, <laughs> it was five against one. 
and he's and he's like, oh, you didn't like those odds? He's like, well, I got four of them. <laughs> you know, so it's like <laughs> I did like that. No, so he yeah he's been in a bunch of stuff. When I was looking at his IMDb, I found it interesting that he played the aforementioned Alexander Haig in the film Nixon. <laughs> so we're randomly talking about this guy a lot today. But um, one thing I saw in my research that I found interesting, he was actually disappointed in the film because the character originally was written as someone who is anti-war. You know, like one of those people in the military who are like, war is a last means. Right, someone who's actually seen it, <laughs> possibly. Yes. You know, judging by his age, he could have been a nom veteran already. Or Yeah, no, and that was kind of his angle. It was going to be like, guys, you don't want this. I'll help you because... You know, it's about survival. But yeah, but your goal should be to get out of here. Get it to exactly. free America. Yeah. And it was kind of toned down to be like, sure, I'll help you out and join you. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I still think he's cool. But now that I hear that, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of would have liked to see that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Because, I mean, sometimes I feel like some of the best war movies are, you know, it, it's not about the flag waving all the time. It's about the human response and the human condition of it. You know, think like even, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front. You know, Absolutely. arguably, you know, so that would be a very interesting take on it. Something I would like to see. Like, if you're going to remake Red Dawn, do it that way. You know, do something different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're going to remake a movie, bring something to the table. Like, just yeah. don't. So anyway, <laughs> um, a couple of other people I want to mention. Ben Johnson plays Jack Mason. And Ben Johnson's a very famous uh, actor in like the John Ford films and like Western films. But I bring him up here because we actually saw him on this podcast in The Last Picture Show, which, if you haven't seen, that is a great film from 1971. But he won Best Supporting Actor in it, and he had very little lines. It was, like, rivaling um, Anthony Hopkins' territory. So it was cool to see him again, because that's 1971, and he was already, like, kind of like an old man in that. Or it seemed right. like it, right? But, like, <laughs> he, he's not that old, because he died in 96, and he was 77. So in this, I don't know, he's younger, you know, in his 60s. But uh, he just has such a great presence. Again, he played um, what? What would you call this guy? Like, is he even the dad of Leia Thompson and stuff? Like, he's he's the one who's hiding Erica and Tony that they keep right. visiting. Right. Yeah. Um. See, he didn't really say. He's just like, I have, I've been, I have something for you guys to take with you. And he's like, I've just been hiding them. So they could have even been. There was no like definitive tie down, you know, to the no. to the family. So I just realized they were related because they have the same last names in the credits, but right. it's it's not like very clear. He's just kind of like an ally of there, someone they feel like they can trust in town. Well um, that's thing and that's also too, he's outside of town. Yes. He's at his ranch like kinda up by where they're they're hiding now. So it's like that's why he hasn't been steamrolled by the machine and he's not in the internment camp and all that. Yeah, they've been over but they haven't like <laughs> pacified him right exactly they saw him as harmless they're old it's him and his wife and just a couple cattle although i'm surprised they didn't take the the livestock but (laughs) that's just there are some weird things here one of them quickly before i forget something that's often criticized about this movie but then i read like someone explaining why and maybe i don't know if you caught it but a lot of people say why is this little town so important why do they have to send paratroopers and such big military contingents? And it they insist on holding this little town. Are they holding every town in America like this? That's not feasible. But th- did you catch why they're holding this town? Um, from what I understand, so they briefly mention that a lot of power, a lot of Russian paratroopers snuck in on. They took commercial airlines and stocked them full of their soldiers. It was like a, a stealth move. Oh, that was mentioned. And you had a synchronized attack. So you had the West Coast and the East Coast nuked, I believe, 
Power said they also came across the Bering Strait through Alaska down the Yukon yeah, territory. Yeah, I don't think they where used we nukes. St- No, no, they, they, were... they did on the coast. Because hmm. that's where he said, he's, he's like, Texas is on lockdown. Like, they're in concentration camps. New York got blasted. And then they wanted to come through middle America because, A, it's not as obvious because you're coming in through the back door and nobody expects it. And, B, if you establish a placeholder in the middle of the country, we would not use nukes on our own country. You know what I mean? We wouldn't launch a nuclear attack inward. Fair. I mean, and that all could make sense, and that's part of the lore of this film in terms of, like, what is actually happening around them. Realistically, it doesn't make sense. No. Uh, but... You know what I mean? It's like that's not how you would start an invasion. <laughs> so the big kicker here, and I didn't really realize it until I, like, read this online. Maybe they should have been done a better job explaining it. They need this town because of two things. One, as he mentioned, like, they're on the border of the land that they've been able to hold. So, look, if they could walk to the border in what it seems like a day or two... Well, they mentioned that they're 40 miles behind enemy lines. Yeah, so so they're close. But the big thing here, and we see it in, like, the final shootout is, this town controls a major train line that apparently goes all the way to Mexico. See, I never knew that. I knew, obviously, the train yard is, like, where the focus of activity is, but yeah, it's never... Yeah, that's where their base it's, is. Yeah, it's not... It's not outright explain that this is why like any train in a town is going to be you know a military advantage as far as you know import export supplies of you know ammunition and whatever but they did not you're right they did not do a good job of saying hey this goes you know pan america yeah. to mexico Major supply line right here yeah um and if they want to ever push that boundary they need to bring the troops up to probably this town. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of dive in and talk about our favorite scenes and the stuff we liked and maybe stuff we didn't like, two other guys that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, Harry Dean Stanton is in this film. Classic, classic actor. I mean, if you look at his freaking IMDb or his face, like he's in so much, including Pretty in Pink, which we've talked about, but that's not like what he's famous from. But he plays uh, the Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen's dad in the film. And the other guy I want to mention... I was kind of disappointed because when I watched this movie recently, I'm like, oh, they have some, like, Latino characters. I was, like, happy about it, get a little representation. You rarely see it in 80s high school films, that's for sure. (laughs) True. And then I looked up, I don't know if he changed his name, but he doesn't really have, like, a clickable IMDb. The guy, Aardvark, who's, like, very clearly Latin, and he didn't have a Wikipedia page. He's been working for forever, but I couldn't really find anything about him. But his name is Doug Toby. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I don't... <laughs> the least yeah <laughs> you know maybe he was married in maybe his mother's side you know i don't know he could be he, he it's you know last names don't always mean it but exactly I, I found no evidence and the uh colonel bella who we talked about before he's played by ron o'neill and R- ron good, o'neill <laughs> good, good irish boy <laughs> well he's actually like this awesome what do you call it like those like uh black films of the 70s like black exploitation yeah black exploitation films like he's the bad guy in superfly like, <laughs> awesome he, and he's like a really awesome actor and you know i guess he plays an afro cuban in this we can make that argument i wish they kind of cast latin actors but whatever i think he did a great job so i'm not gonna like complain so who were you gonna mention lane smith lane who, smith who's the uh, what's the one? He's the kid's dad. He's the mayor of the town. Oh, and he, yeah. He coaches the Hawks of the Mighty Ducks. Oh, Come my on. God. I'm like, <laughs> he's also in My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, exactly. Um, where do I know this guy? 
this guy's I'm just, like, I, this guy just plays a dick all the time. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. He's the coach of the Hawks. I didn't put two and two together. I'm like, shit. Like, <laughs> good call. And he's I like figured, the mayor who's a quick conspirator. Is Mighty, du- Mighty Ducks 2 is high school? <laughs> no, only Mighty Ducks 3 is high Only school. Mighty Ducks 3? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, when they, that's when they freeze the jackets and all that. But still, yeah, I'm right. a big Mighty Ducks guy. You guys know that. Everyone hmm. says that I'm, I'm Aberman. I didn't intend to be Aberman, but <laughs> it sort of happened that way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's so cool. Good call. Good call. So... <laughs> I had to say it for Chris, Mighty Ducks. Yes. Ducks fly together. Shout out Chris. <laughs> Chris recently complained to me that everyone who knows him on this podcast and talks about him makes him sound like a buffoon. So, so no. <laughs> Not at words, all. So far you haven't. So <laughs> you're past the He's Chris. just terrified of ketchup. There's nothing weird about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And guys, we're talking about Chris Carroll, who's been on this podcast a bunch as well. Oh. Just joking. I love you, Chris. <laughs> All right. I mean, let's get into it. Let's talk about some scenes. Obviously, we talked about the opening already, and we kind of addressed it a little bit. Looking back now, now that we're in, like, an, unfortunately, an era of school shooting, it adds, like, oh, such a vile element to it's, it. It's, I don't want to say cringeworthy, because it's not like it wasn't a student attacking a school and stuff like no, that. No, but you but see those it's bullets just, going through the classroom, you're like, oh my god. But yeah, you're, you're it's it's something in our heads now that just triggers like, oh man. Like, you can't laugh. At, it's not like funny, like cheesy. It's just like, and it doesn't take away, and like, if anything, I think it adds to the seriousness of the movie if there's, you know what I mean? That, yeah, it's, it's, it's that we're so, as a country, we're so sensitive to it right now and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, we should be sensitive to no, it. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's a raw nerve, visceral reaction and it's like, oh, you know, I, I forgot about this. I wasn't ready to see that yet. You know, it's, <laughs> but it's, again, it starts, it tells you how serious war is. It's like, no, it's like, these guys do not give a fuck. They're killing everybody. <laughs> you know, absolutely. And, you know, some of the kids, I'll just say who are just like lucky enough to escape this initial invasion, as you said, in a Jed's truck, they become the Wolverines. Can we, can we I, talk about the truck real quick? Sure, your truck the, guy. The, the Cheyenne? Yeah, I love that guy's truck. Jed's truck is, is so pretty. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a great truck. A truck like <laughs> that these days, like in good condition, would that go for a lot of money? Um, It depends what motors. Like I said, how good a condition if it's original. Like that truck, Uh, yeah, that would probably fetch a good price. Not like nothing crazy. You're not going to get rich off of it, but it's definitely going to hold value. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. It kind of just you know turns quickly into guerrilla warfare. And then I, I want to just bring up the whole Wolverines thing again. They call themselves the Wolverines. That's their football team name. That's their high school team name. And this really sticks. Again, so what are your, some of your favorite scenes from the beginning of the movie or scenes you just wanted to talk about? More towards the beginning of the movie. It's not so much, at least at the very beginning, it's not so much a war movie. It's a, it's a movie about shooting, like about having to kill. <laughs> and we see that change very quickly because you know they come out and the first thing they do, they go to the you know, Jed's gas station and they're talking to the, the one kid's parents and they're just like, grab what you can and go to the mountains. You know, so they're, you know, they're not obviously don't have like a plan for this and you, they run into trouble, you know, in the sense that like they finally set up their little camp. And the first thing, of course, is always like, what about my parents? What happened to our friends? What happened to our family? Da, da, da. And, you know, it's that argument, like, do we go back into town and see what's up or, you know, what are we doing out here? And nobody really has any clue what's going on. And Jed just, I think, just kind of being the oldest one steps up and says, no, 
we stay here. Like we have to, the biggest, and then I think the hardest part about in any refugee type situation is your family would want you to stay alive. And Jed really makes that point because everybody's looking to go back. I got to go back and get him. It's like, what are you going to do right now? You have no plan. You have no weapons. You have nothing going on. You're, you know, it's like, you're going to make things worse. You know, you're no help to anybody. So I think it's, it's that moment that you realize what, you know, like you have to make that sacrifice. You know, that, that has to be part of your plan. It was like, I have to make sure I'm okay so I can make sure other people are okay. You know, it's like, I'm no good to anybody else dead. And that's, and that's not just a war thing. That's like, that's a good lesson to take away for any emergency situation is like, you know, panic, you can't make panic decisions, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's, we're seeing that. And, you know, and it's, it's dealing with, you know, they just saw their whole class get shot up. And the fact that like, it's almost like that survivor's guilt, you know, like, why am I here? And why is this my responsibility now? So well, it's your responsibility because you have the ability. Those people don't now, you know, it's, so it's by default. <laughs> yeah. And I found it like interesting. I thought about, and again, not because I want to see the remake, but I thought about what if this happened today? And I actually think it would be worse from a sense of we're so connected to everyone via text messages and just the proliferation of you know 4g and wi-fi now we can't go a couple hours without hearing from our loved ones you know back then it was easier because like you go through the whole day and not see your parents and family i'm not saying that makes it easy about what's happening especially when uh, your town is being occupied even even from a logistical standpoint plot point later down the road is that there's a there's a there's a bug there's a tracker planted on them and think about how easy that is today every piece of electronics you own can be tracked almost your car, your phone, you know, it's like if you brought any electronics with you, you're traceable. So if you're really going to go on the run like that, you got to go off the grid, you know, cash only don't bring your credit card. You know, it's like you can't call anybody. You can't, you know, it's, it's incredibly hard to get lost these days or to not be found, I should say. Yeah, I don't know if the new movie makes use of that, but the easiest argument for like, wait, why don't they have their cell phones is exactly what you said. Like, Mm. this is all traceable. I just don't know. I think the movie would have been shorter if it was truly about, like, high schoolers today, because it would have been Oh, God, yeah. It would have to be, almost to an extent, some more rural area high school. if they, you know, think about where we went to high school. If they dropped a group of Ultapan kids (laughs) in the middle of a war, they would last all of, like, six seconds. (laughs) <laughs> ourselves ourselves included who are oh, we kidding yeah. you know what i mean it's like you know versus you know kids who you know the whole reason they went to the mountains because jed knew hunting trails people had cabins up there and they knew how to hunt and they could spend a few days without being you know you know it's and it's just a matter of environment you don't you know if you don't grow up in that environment it's a skill you don't need to learn absolutely it's, it might have been different if they you know that's i that would even be a good idea for a red dawn sequel is just do what happened in another city you know what i mean like take those new york kids who are now going in the underground and, and taking control of uh, the subway systems and living in those tubes and abandoned tunnels and stuff. That would be cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Don't Getting way off base, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, like, one of the first big action set pieces, well, th- there's a bunch. There's a lot here. One of the first big ones, though, is when they're liberating that camp, like the re-education camp. Mm-hmm. I-, I liked seeing that because historically that has been something – that people on both sides have done. Yes, the communists call it re-education camps, but it's not like when the United States has invaded people, they didn't set up makeshift corral. <laughs> yeah, and corral. However, however you want to, whatever euphemism you want to use, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you know, there's no like black and white, like, oh, this is what the bad guys do here. Um, I thought it was actually, I don't want to call it a goof, but it was 
kind of odd to me that they had this re-education camp and it was just kind of a pen and they could walk up to the gate. The kids just walked people. right up to it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there was no security guards like in the watchtower going like, hey, you, you know, like. Because <laughs> if you could do that, you could probably within a couple of days either dig a hole or cut well, they, your way what, through the pen. I say, what was to stop the kids right then and there just taking like wire cutters and going, blup, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Remember... used to go in the park and play. And I used to put you on the swings. And both of you were so damn little. God. I remember. I remember all of it. Well, I ain't gonna be around to pick you up when you fall now. Both of you gotta take care of each other now. never see you again, Dad. Yes, you will. I don't want to hear that, Maddie. What happened to Mom, Dad? Where is she? I can't afford to be crying anymore now. I don't want either one of you ever, ever cry for me again. I'll ever do it. Not as long as you live. Where's my dad, Mr. Eckert? I don't know, son. Go get going now. Get out before they find you. Dad? I love you. I know you do, son. I love you, too. Boys! Avenge me! Avenge me! So, I mean, there, there are plot holes, I guess. <laughs> but, uh... Uh, you know, th- that was interesting. But I thought it was cool like to see that. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't know a lot of information, but there is some logic to what's happening based on, as you said, like, you know, what r- the Russians were doing at the time and just basically what happens when people invade people at that point. <laughs> when you see these kids, it's they're not ready to kill. You know, they, they said they're still in the woods and, you know, the one kid's worried about his dad and his family. We just had that like moment. And then, you know, after that, after they get back from the concentration camp, the one kid's crying. And the one phrase Jed keeps reminding them is like, don't cry, turn it to something else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like you have to get in that mindset, you know, that turn it to something else. Turn it. like Don't be sad. Get angry. And I feel like. You know, it, especially in a survival situation, it's all about moving. If we, if you stay still, you die. You know, it's Patton said it. Uh, forts are monuments to man's stupidity. Keep moving, mobile, and you know, just keep moving. It's a great way to move forward in a great, you know, short term anyway, like coping tactic. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, down to like when they're their first little raid there, and uh, you know, it's like, what's it like? You know, what it feel like? And he just says, you know, good. <laughs> and it's it's something that you have to, you know, with any warfare it, there has to be that some sort of removal from humanization like Absolutely. that that I you mean, have to get you know you have to get that 
monkey off your back of that hesitate, you know, that hesitation. I'm speaking on assumptions because I've clearly never been in combat. <laughs> no, <laughs> but fair, like, fair. I can only imagine what it takes to like, you know, to have to kill somebody, whether you know, in any situation. But it's it's just like I said it's it's funny to see those. I shouldn't say funny, but to see those little those little <laughs> no, notes. Yeah, those little notes of uh, notes of change, you know, because they they start out and they're very they are panicky kids, and then they kind of pull it together. Yeah, yeah, it's something like you know, I know it's an overdone thing people say about war films, or maybe even war in general, and especially when it's young people, kids and stuff, it's a, a loss of innocence. Right, right, and I think that's going back to where your I think the moment I was going to say with that with the is when they find the girls and a little bit later they're around the campfire and Charlie Sheen pisses off Leia Thompson, you know? And that's, I think that's where it's almost, even though they've already been fighting and killing, but that's where it clicks what war did to these girls for, you know, that's where Charlie Sheen's character, that's where it clicks for him. Like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just killing. There's a lot of other shit going down. Yeah. I just was going to talk about the girls because, you know, obviously they're thrown into this as well, but they become just as equal, like, members of this team, you know, of the Wolverines, and, you know, they're, they're fighting, they're operating yeah. weaponry. Like, I thought that was pretty cool, like, for the time. Yep, and that's and that's exactly at that fire camp point where Charlie Sheen goes, why don't you make yourself useful and go do dishes? It, and it, you know, they're, like I said, they're equal parts. They were just as willing to take up arms and obviously sacrificing themselves as, you know, Jennifer Grey's character, you know. So it, there's no... You know, I think in a dire situation like that, just like you see in Afghanistan with, you know, women taking up arms and, you know, now in, now in uh, the Ukraine and all, all things like that, you see a lot more female fighters and it's, you know, it's because it's, it's your home is your home. You know, it's, you know, my husband got killed. It's just me now or, you know, whatever. It, there's a great sense of equality in, in dire situations like that. Absolutely. It's just, it's just about survival of your culture. <laughs> you Surv- know? Survival has no gender, you know, survival right. ha- has... No race, though everyone's white here except maybe the uh, aardvark. But. <laughs> True, <laughs> but sur- you know, survival. When you gotta survive, you just gotta do what you gotta do. You know, and I, I love it. I thought they were both badass. Well, to- and I love like Leah's Con- Leah Thompson character has like a lot of depth to it because you know when they first get revealed from under the floorboards, the guys, the guy in the cabin, I forget his name. Like whoever's sheltering them, he's like caught him before you know these soldiers, these Russian soldiers tried to have their way with her, and you can tell a little bit later that it was a little bit too late for Leah Thompson, you know, because when Charlie Sheen tells her to go do dishes, she you know kind of tells him like fuck off, and he goes, "What's up your ass?" And that's not something you, you she explodes, I should say, you know, she really goes off like I'll fucking kill you, don't you ever say that, and it's very clear that she was raped, you know, and and yeah. it's like. That adds a whole nother layer to it and, you know, why she's quiet through the whole movie and then that, that slow build of trust to uh, to Powers as an adult that she feels can, you know, here's a, a uniformed American that can protect me type feeling and, you know, they actually cut a love scene between her and Powers. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Is that the love scene you were talking about? Because yeah. I saw, like, some chemistry here, but how old is she? That's That was my thought too and how old and you know he's supposed to be older of course of course yeah <laughs> so because he already has a wife and children he for he doesn't even know if they're alive or dead and i think i don't know i've never been again i'm stressed a million times like 
we've never been in combat or in any sense of that, but I could understand, you know, finding comfort, I guess, you know, in any sense of humanity, like humanity and like any sort of, especially if we've been fighting for that long and that serious and there's no hope for survival, like, you know, because it looks pretty bleak at that point. You know what I mean? I, I get that, but like... Not justifying it. It was still weird and creepy and I'm not, but I mean, if you're gonna try and make that I get what they should have cut it. <laughs> it would have been too, too much. Yeah, and we would have been debating that. Like, I can't, you know, I can't. To the, ca- to the I, you, home, you know, <laughs> we'll put this. We can rationalize it, but I can definitely not justify it. <laughs> no, no, like, especially if it was also written as like kind of like this anti-war character. Would you like fuck it? I'm gonna bang right. a sixteen-year-old. Like, right. come on. It's like, like, yeah, it's just like it's. Yeah, it's, it's like you almost need that sense of nihilism. Like, you know, it's that might be needed. And it's like, fuck it, we're all going to die. Not the optimist, and, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll make it out of this. Like, he, and that's especially because he's still holding out hope that his wife's alive and stuff. So yeah, that even makes so it like, kind of like, worse. Dude, like, it's going to come back to haunt you. Like, yeah. And it's going to be like, we were at war, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, the characters still is interesting to me. But, you know, Leah Thompson's, like, crush on Powers, because th- that's what I thought it was before I knew there was a love scene. It, it makes more sense now. It makes more like, sense, but I feel like someone at that age, it make, the way the movie is, if she is supposed to be 16-ish, give or take, that teenage crush on teacher type thing makes a lot more sense than just statutory. <laughs> no, no, true. I, I'm glad it's out. I, just, I was a little confused when she's like, you know, I'll never love again. And I, right, I was yeah, like, she's... oh, oh, I didn't know that, like, had progressed to that level, but, you know. And it's also, like, we, you know, it's, like, I guess it's unexpected in the sense that, obviously, with the cast, you would assume, like, Swayze or Charlie Sheen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would be the love interest. Yeah, it, I was thinking that, too, right? Like, there's not a lot of romance in this film, obviously, and that's totally fine. Why are you putting it there? Yeah, that's, it just, <laughs> exactly, in a, in a movie devoid of it, that doesn't need it, necessarily, that's trying to show, I feel like it, it I don't know. Yeah, it's just a very awkward thing that is best left cut. If that scene was left in here and, like, um, super conservative people were like, see, this is why you know everyone should watch this movie, I think that, like, the biggest argument would be, oh, yeah, this is what we should all do? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think, I think the biggest, like, especially after, like, Obama gonna take my guns type attitude is one of the first things the Cuban general does when they get, like, settled in the town. He goes... Go to all the sporting and sporting good and hunting stores. Look up form, you know, forty twenty two or whatever. That's everybody's. You know, if they sold a gun, they had to register it, and they'll tell you the type of gun and who owns it. <laughs> they're extreme left. That's what they're trying to do. It's like that's where I do see, like, you know, it's like, is it just good tactics or is it like, or is it a comment on, you know, whatever? <laughs> I just I, thought it yeah, was funny. I get it, but I also think that, like, I, I hate to go back to this, but like a kid shooting up a school as we've seen, is more likely than a uh, yes. World War Three invasion of yes. the United States. I agree. I so, agree. again, in fantasy, this is why we need our weapons. To you know, I don't want to get into like this kind of topic right. here. That's not why we're here on High School Slumber Party. But I, I think I'm more just like trying to defend the film. That right. I right. think I agree with you. We're like that is realistic, and that's what would happen. I say if 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 I was a commander of you know an invading force, that would be an option I would take. Is hey, how do we find out who's armed and who's not? But I feel like in in today, especially in today's climate, where that's a huge issue, like mm-hmm. just what happened in you know in Virginia, like that's like see, 
see, I told you. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I, and this is what I would say. Like, okay, you might be right about that, but we're not going back to the times where like no one registers a gun and we just have right. them. That's right. definitely not happening. <laughs> so they were kind of affected in effective in pacifying this population. The only people again who like were able to rebel were a bunch of teenagers and yeah, they were able to get a cachet of guns and that was great for them and for the moment, but it doesn't show that like oh, you see this town where everyone has a gun was able to rise up and defend itself. Because ultimately, now we don't see, but I'm guessing that the two surviving Wolverines don't come back with a guerrilla force and continue to wage war. Right. They come They come back with a... Because they say they're sending Green Berets. You know, the hope was that there's Green Berets on the way. You know, which, you know, eventually that there's going to be, again, some sort of air support or armor or artillery or yeah, you know, there's other other elements there and that's the thing it's it's like even if pretty much in everybody in this colorado town even if they all had guns it doesn't do anything when a friggin like you know <laughs> t72 is rolling down main street you know and it, you know, your bullets it's a tank dude it's a tank <laughs> it doesn't you know, again i'm like you know i don't want to get political here but i'm i'm just saying in the in the concept of no this absolutely movie, but like it's like <laughs> Obviously, like, assault rifles, uh, you know, hunting rifles, one thing. Like, obviously, a assault rifle would be more effective. But it's not like Grandpa with his assault rifle is going to come out, like you're saying, and w w with one of them be able to take on an entire Russian division, yeah. you know? <laughs> it just, <laughs> like, that's why it's kind of, uh, I don't know. So another interpretation of this film is that it's not pro-gun or pro, you know, or not even anti-communist. That it's actually just anti-state, like it's it's a lot of libertarians see this film as like you see the U.S. government couldn't even protect them. That's why we need to be on our own. Um, and honestly, I, could, they're, they're I never thought about that, but I could totally see that. Absolutely, yeah, there might be more of an argument for that. Not that I yeah, agree with that, but no. I'm saying like no, you're I, right. I see there that a little bit more here. <laughs> What's I guess what takes away from that is there is a lot of like patriotism in the film at times, but that could be something that was like done later in the process of this screenplay. Before we get to the ending and all that kind of stuff, uh, what other scenes really stuck out at you? I really like the portrayal of the like how the Wolverines operate because it was very like I said like I said in the beginning, it's it's exactly what uh, a small determined local populace can do against an occupying force. You know, it's and it's and it's the same tactics that we see again and again, tactics we saw in Vietnam tactics we saw in against the Russians in Afghanistan against ourselves in Afghanistan um you know like look at the very first thing they have uh Jennifer Grey do she comes up as like the pretty girl as these guys are gassing up their tank and they're like oh pretty girl you know like, they're trying to like harass her and she drops her picnic basket and runs away like she's scared it's like no that you know, it turns out it was a bomb you know so it's it's like these uh this sabotage bombings uh bombing of non-military outposts like again they get they use jennifer gray again in the same style later in the movie and she goes to that uh that soviet american relations building <laughs> that is really <laughs> just the the central registry and similar thing the guys like oh come back and bring a friend for me or whatever and they have that whole discussion of like you know the, what can these kids really do da 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 and after they have that comment they turn around and it blows up so it's you know and it's these small hit and run attacks at night, light, you know, light attacks, hit what you can and run. They're traveling by horseback. It's, it's reminiscent 
of how they portrayed the Mujanid in Rocky and uh, not Rocky. Oh, Jesus Christ. And <laughs> <laughs> Rambo three, you know, it's like they're coming in on horseback, you know, it's, it's anytime there's an outnumbered force, you see these tactics, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a very realistic portrayal. They're using captured weapons. I feel like somebody did their research at least for, for that aspect. And the whole Absolutely. Design. If anything, this is like a highly researched film, like you said, in terms of like the equipment and the, like the effects, and I don't mean like special effects like CGI, because obviously, well, there was one added effect. I don't know if you noticed it. So I don't want, you know, we'll talk about the ending later, but there's right. like a, a snowfall in the ending. <laughs> and it, like, if you watch it in like clear HD, it's clearly like something they added in post that doesn't look like snow right. at all. Right. It didn't yeah. expect people to be like, you know, HDing this film up. But um no I, I definitely agree. With Who you. knew it was going to end up on HD DVD? <laughs> exactly. On Kyle's Xbox. <laughs> but but uh you know I hundred percent agree with you. Just I do like war films. It doesn't mean I like war guys. But <laughs> I, I do like war films and the tactics were very cool, very realistic. Like you said, clearly research again. I don't know what realistic is, but it seemed realistic to me. Um, Jennifer Grey is so, like, courageous for being able to do this kind of stuff because they could just be like, oh, I know you from a picture and shoot her in the head, you know? Right, Um, right. She's able to accomplish a lot. They're all able to, like, find their little niche. Some people emerge stronger than others. Because if you think about Jed, he's the leader, yeah, because he's the oldest. He's by default. He's oldest, yeah, but he's he's not not that much older than him. This is like Law of the Jungle, you know? If someone else would have emerged as the leader, it it would have happened. It just, he was also, it shows that he was a football captain. Um, But I I also like the fact that they don't shy away that he's still a scared kid. Yeah. It's it's like they they don't, it's like they have the scene, scenes of him crying and him being alone and going like, you know, more or less like, what the fuck is happening? You know, like, and him trying to talk, rationalize what what his sense is to so I'm glad they didn't shy away from that going throughout the whole thing. And it's like, you see, these are not typical eighties action heroes where they're coming in and shooting these clearly as, as we'll find out people are flawed and people can be manipulated as in, you know, to give themselves up for different reasons. What's again, going back to what is, what does survival mean to you? You know? And, and that's where we get our, our, our tracker, our bug or sell out. <laughs> yeah. One of the most awful things about war, and there are a lot of them, is that war often makes you choose sides and for what you're saying. And the side you choose is dependent on survival. I mean, I'm not supporting these people, but how about, like, there's pictures of when they liberated Paris and they found all the people who, like, were co-conspirators with the Nazis and shaved their heads. Or even today, I know, in uh, Korea and it's a place where if you were like co-conspired with the Japanese, like your family till this day is like, it's an issue, you know? But while I'm not saying, Oh yeah, it's okay to conspire with the Nazis. Please don't take me out of context. (laughs) War makes you do some fucked up shit. And and what we, well, first, as far as like that same aspect, we see the mayor of the town whose son is running with the Wolverines. We see him, He's almost like uh, France in the 40s, and he's like, you know what? If we just give them what they want, maybe they'll spare us. <laughs> Keep thinking yeah. about taking shots on France in the 40s. Well, you know. 
that's the American in me, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's just the most, probably the most well-documented point of appeasement, you know, that we study in history class. But, you know, that whole, that whole sense of like, we just give them what they want. They'll back off and, you know, things will change for us, but, you know, we'll still also be alive. And clearly, all, like, that's not the case, especially in, in this movie where, it's, all right, you're going to keep giving to us, but now we know we can walk all over you. And, you know, now they threaten the mayor's son and all uh, the mayor's, they directly threaten the mayor's family. So he's the one that kind of says, all right, well, you know, they say, is your son a troublemaker? No, my son's fine. Okay. Well, tell us who the troublemakers are. Like, who have you had trouble? And that's where he reluctantly starts giving names of the other kids in town and how they start to realize who the Wolverines are. And then every time, you know, you see this very, this very like Russian totalitarianism that any time the Wolverines strike, that we're not just going to punish them when we find them. We're going to punish all of you for keeping your mouth shut and not saying. So that's where you see these uh, mass shootings and these you know, these mass graves, which leads to another one where where uh, you know Ardvark's father is in this lineup about to get gunned down in the graves they just dug for themselves, and they start singing "America the Beautiful." You know, it's it's like this like poignant scene of. You know, it's like Casablanca singing the French national anthem, you know, and it's a, it's it's a very poignant scene. And as I digress, you know, once uh, who was it? It wasn't Danny. It was the other kid. Um, I can't remember the other name now. Uh, the kid who swallowed the bug. That wasn't Danny. Was no, it? That was Daryl. 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 So like he went back in town later, later in the movie. And first of all, let me. I like that this movie isn't like a one day thing that a lot of movies do. Like here's what, you know, they this movie takes place over, over a year and they pace it out month by month by month. And that helps drag it out and makes the situation more desperate and more dire. And what, you know, this kid snuck back into town because he hasn't seen his family in months and he knows they're there. And while he was there, they recognize him and they threaten not to kill him, but they threaten to kill his family. So with that, he swallows this tracking bug and leads the Russian soldiers right to where the Wolverines are hiding out. Luckily, they kind of saw it coming and had the ambush going, but now we're faced with this whole, what do you do with a traitor? You know? Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the most poignant scenes because it's a traitor who kind of led to, what is it, two people die at that point? Yes, uh, which is the I keep forgetting his name, but the Air Force guy, and just yep. one, one of the other guys. Powers and yeah, but it, and it's the whole thing. It's it's like he, and he's not a traitor because of ideological purposes. You know, it, it's because of, of of personal things. And it wasn't against. And this is the I think the whole. It was a great scene in the sense that nobody wanted to do it, except for the the one, and that's that's the other kid starts off really scared to shoot people and then he's you know he's the guy putting numbers on carving numbers into the stock of his gun by the end of it yeah and which that one of my favorite lines is when powers looks at him doing it and he says that much hate's gonna burn you and he just looks back keeps me warm like that's a great line like that's that's like that's a great line but anyway the whole whole point is like what do you do with this traitor and i think the need to put him down is (laughs) is incredibly heartbreaking to make but in that realm in the situation they were in you are in a group of what six people and your survival is solely based on trust you know what i mean and that's a thing 
like how do you you can't, you can't come back from that you know we can't just let you go now and we can't take you with us cuz it's unfortunately it's like you know it's it's a situation that i thought like i said again a poignant scene and and i like that they showed like you know patrick sweet like jed crying afterwards and all that but it, it's one of those things like you know that's you know that's, that shit's happened before i'm sure oh <laughs> you yeah you know what i mean like <laughs> So there's, like I said, for for such a what people deem like a cheesy action flick, it definitely deserves more respect than it gets. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm curious to like if we could have ever seen like the true intentions of the filmmaker. But you're absolutely right. There's so many moments this time around that I wasn't necessarily. Yes, I was focusing on the action, but I was focusing more on what these characters' feelings would be well, and like what I, I feel would like do in that situation. I feel like you kind of had a duel in this movie between like what the studio wanted it to be and like what the writer, because I, there's, there's some really great layers of sub like of subtext, you know, throughout. And, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with, with, uh, what was it? John Malias. And he yeah. co-wrote, he co-wrote apocalypse now. Yeah. You know, the, arguably, you know, the, one of the top three war movies of all time. I was thinking <laughs> about top five apocalypse anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, definitely. I was thinking about Apocalypse Now, and that is definitely in my top ten films of all time. I the, the four hour Redux or just the original. <laughs> this is why I can't decide because I do. I, so they just released. It's like called the final edition of it, and while I liked it, there were things in the Redux that I would have maybe kept. I, like, there's no perfect version. I say but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I've it's seen a every lot version. to get through. But. The four-hour one is very long, but I almost like it, except we're in, like, that French colonial thing for way too long. But <laughs> I mean, it definitely gives you the history of it. I mean, as Yeah, far as I, I do like of... that, though. I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, everybody everybody, everybody forgets, podcast. again, going back to the French. It was them and the Belgians that started that shit. <laughs> <laughs> A couple other notes uh, on uh, the director that I thought were interesting. Um, so he signed on to direct for one2 Two five million dollars, which is a lot of money at the time, but also he wanted one gun of, of his choosing to take home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it sounds like I wrote that contract. <laughs> what did he take? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> when this is, uh, I'm curious, I want to find out. When Alexander Haig took him under his wing, he brought him to a lot of these like conservative think tanks to to figure out what the scenario would be, and while that's like controversial, they did come up with something that was a little bit more feasible than the original screenplay and more appropriate for the time. The original uh, concept was going to be like Hitler's supposed plans of invading the U.S., but it, cha- it changed uh, again to kind of click with recent political we'll yeah, the climate, str- yeah, the political climate, especially in Central uh, and Latin America, um, hence the invasion. From the South. Uh, John Malias, or he wasn't so like fond of this approach, but they apparently thought they were going to get a lot of funding from uh, the Department of Defense. But the Department of Defense pulled the funding, so MGM had to fund the film anyway, so it didn't really like work out. So, so, they, so they sold crack <laughs> in LA and used that money to fund Nicaraguan so we could get cheap guns for the movie. <laughs> oh god. And that's that's when Ollie North was running MGM or something. Right? <laughs> that's is, how it all leaks. This has <laughs> to be the episode with the most like 
political context. Oh, context. gotta be, gotta be. So, he, he, like I said, he wasn't too fond of like Alexander Haig's approach. He didn't want a flag-waving film, so he tried to tone that down in the final product. Uh, and I want to quote exactly what he said about the film. He said, "I see it as an anti-war film in a sense that if both sides could see this, maybe it wouldn't happen." I think it would be good for Americans to see uh, what a war would be like. The film isn't even that violent, according to him. The war shows none of the horrors that could happen in World War III. In fact, everything that happened in the movie happened in World War II. I mean, that's fair, and, and I get what he's saying from that point of view. But uh, another movie you were on on this podcast, Starship Troopers, I, it has a similar reputation, right? It has a yeah, similar, absolutely. That, that, a lot of people think it's right just like... right-wing stance, yeah. But well, I mean, no, no. I thought you meant yeah, yeah similar reputation in the sense that people think it's just a dumb, right. a, yeah, like, a, like a, a poor, Either a dumb action movie. film or yeah. right wing propaganda. When yeah. if you read it the other way, it could also be read the opposite. Like this is what happens to war. You see, United States. This is what we've done to other countries. Now it's happening to you. Like almost like a karma kind of thing. And it's it's funny. And as we. Literally speak of flag waving. I, I feel like with that whole note, I almost think uh, in the beginning of The Patriot. <laughs> and he gives that whole speech of like, you know, I'm against war. And like he has this whole history of being, you know, chopping up people in the French and Indian Wars for Britain and all that. And he's like, you got to understand, like, I've been to war. You guys haven't. Like, this isn't going to be in some faraway land. This is going to be at our back door, you know? And it's that same mentality i feel like is in red dawn it's like you know especially in this time and then when we were kids my first my first memory of like warfare give or take for for us is desert storm yeah you know what i mean and i was like three or four years was that 91 so we were four and i just remember we were at war because the tv screen was green and there was flashing lights on it it was just like that generic you know so it's like desert storm yeah, yeah. So it's just like whatever. We're lucky enough, you know, that pretty much since 1865, we haven't seen anything like that happen on our own soil. You know, obviously you have Pearl Harbor, and again, going back to 9/11, but it's like not a full-scale war, you know. And we didn't have to live through a full-scale war. You know, talk to talk to somebody who lived in Poland in like 41. You know. <laughs> Like it's a it's a whole different mentality, and I feel like that that's definitely an angle this movie could take. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and I think we're having this debate. I don't want to say it's one of the flaws of the film because I guess sparking debate's a good thing, but I, I feel like we're having this debate because there was clearly a conflict between writer, studio, director, True. and it kind of just like merged. mixed messages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> merged into one thing, and you know what? That's fine. War clouds things, right? So it's. <laughs> It's not the worst thing in the world to be it's having. It's literally a called the fog of war. Yeah. Decisions made in the heat of battle are not always the best, but they're always the most urgent. Absolutely. And I feel like that this film, you kind of see what you want to see, which is not unlike real life or war. So I'm not 100% like against it in any means. I actually like really enjoyed this watch. I also didn't watch it and say, hey, I need to go make sure I have a gun now in case, you know... Uh, there's a foreign no. invasion. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, uh, the one thing I did think was funny, uh, and this is again a little detracting, but still along the whole geopolitics of it. Um, when they ask powers like, well, who is on our side? 
And he goes, you know, 600 million screaming Chinamen. And then and he's like, well, I thought it was a billion. It was. And like that implies. And then I'm start thinking like, why would China be on our side? And I realized that, you know, so this was 84. So Reagan had just opened up relations with China. And that was the optimism going, well, well, China's going into free trade now. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, that was that <laughs> optimism. Like, no, nah, China, China thinks we're cool now. So we're bros. <laughs> and, if anything, and, you know, China like, would probably stay neutral and try yeah, to supply but, both sides. Yeah, that, or, I mean, you know, obviously China has their ties to Russia, but I feel like. Yeah, at the time, though, I think they were pretty. Uh, yeah, and now pretty, I feel like China would play the power move and wait to see, let Russia deplete its stuff first and then try and usurp. <laughs> yeah, China joined way too fast for this, but who yeah. knows? Again, so quickly, and I, again, don't want to get into the weeds here about it too much, but one of the big reasons for the invasion was said to, like, a failure of a Ukrainian wheat harvest. You know, there's that whole fast-scrolling thing oh, at the beginning. Oh, yeah, well, that's the whole thing. It's it's like, well, that legitimately did happen in the 30s, which was a reason for them to expand out. And, yeah, it was like you said, it's the whole everything of it like you know mexico yeah no i was just gonna say that like this the reasons aren't just like we want to conquer you know they're clearly like most wars uh, and a fight to get resources exactly yeah it wasn't yeah it wasn't just a idealistic war it was a natural resources are always driving points so let's try to bring this home well what do you think of this the whole way that this movie kind of uh ends up tying itself together i actually i think like I said before, I think that and the pacing of it is uh, one of the things it does really well. Because, like I said, it's not just like this, you know, like Die Hard, where it's all in one night type action movie. It's like, no, this <laughs> is drawn out. You know, it's drawn out over months, over a year, over different seasons, adding different challenges, you know. And how frustrating, you know, a guerrilla force can be when you can't square up and fight with them, you know, and they hire their rodent hunter or whatever he calls himself you know and uh he's like enough with taking you know why are you killing the other civilians because these guys are making mistakes they're not obviously they're just going to keep doing it he's like and i love his analogy if a fox steals your hen you don't kill your pig yeah and and uh you know and it's this is kind of what uh i think the most realistic thing would be how he's like no he's here and the first thing he does he's like no we're going to set a trap and then just bring in some really big friggin' helicopters, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so you get this big dramatic, you know, and these for the first, you know, not that it's just say for the first time, but now all of a sudden these kids, they kind of gotten used to their tactics and now helicopters come in and they're like, what the hell did we do? <laughs> you know? And then, you know, you can take it from there. If you, uh, you know, the jig was going to be up at some time. And I, I liked it because it was more realistic, you know, mm-hmm. if Absolutely. they defeated the entire, like, uh, red army i think would be like it would it would so just it would it would be stupid it would take you out of it and be like well man and <laughs> um you know we we get this is where we have that great i don't want to say great but you know cinematic wise that jennifer gray sacrifice yeah it, it's 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 such a you know you read stories about this type of thing you know so set the scene they call in the helicopters jennifer gray gets jennifer gray ends up shot by one of these helicopters and and uh she's she's unable to she's she's dying she knows it and she asks to be she asks for jed to shoot her and she's like they'll make if they catch me alive they're gonna make me talk and i we can't risk it and she knows you know that's her loyalty to them is you know we're both we both know i'm better off dead and i'm not gonna recover anytime soon so 
you know, for, for the sake of all of us and Jed can't do it. <clears throat> so she says, well, leave me with a grenade and I'll do it. And not only she, so Jed pulls the pin for her and she holds it in her hand. He gets away and she holds it, holds it, holds it. And finally, when they come up to check her body, that's when, so she was able to claim one more. And especially at the end of that scene, you have the Russian propaganda machine. And I love it where they're saying, Oh, we got 12 of them. And the, the Russian hunter <laughs> goes, I only see one body. And he goes, the paper likes 12, you know? And yeah. it, it's just that, that very Soviet moment, <laughs> you know? No. Yeah. So true. And again, we build to, well, basically this is the end of the Wolverines, you know, um, they, they realize that some people need to survive. Right. So it's, the brothers are going to go into literally just invade the main base on a suicide mission, essentially, to create a diversion. So, so who's left? It's uh, Leah Thompson. It's Leia, and... Leah Thompson and uh, and is it Danny or is it the <laughs> other it's guy? Danny, yeah. And it, yeah. To me, it's like really him. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, I think that's a bold move for this movie to make. A movie that's its star power is driven by Charlie. Well, by Charlie, Charlie driven by charlie sheen but you know now we would now we would yeah, think of it that it way be. i think more swayze though but you say but and the fact that swayze is not the guy walking out at the end that won everything i think that was a, a bold move for them to make like hey the heroes don't always make it you know it's it's a uh, very different from a lot of other 80s action movies where people survive ridiculous things and you know so you know and i mean this final battle it's pretty epic definitely a big set piece here it's awesome charlie sheen gets shot but is jed shot jed shot picking him up uh okay yeah and um i don't know it was just that whole point thing is when they see their father in the concentration camp for the first time or the re-education camp he's like you know i remember when you were kids and you were hanging on the swings and where they end up dying they're in the park on the swings you know or right with the swings behind them anyway so they're both dead because like, they're I both know, i think it's alluded to yeah because i know charlie and, sheen's definitely dead but right uh again like the poignant moment to me is that uh the the cuban colonel you right know, it, it, well there's this weird little thing that he has he's like writing a love letter <laughs> to his well to his to his wife yeah. and i think that goes back to almost what i was saying is the different ways you know he came to communism as a hope for like I said, you could see him almost as a Che Guevara type believer, mm-hmm. you know. And when he gets into the cold, mechanized version of it, that Russia is throwing down. He goes, "This isn't a revolution anymore." You know, he has that realization because he's he's putting in his resignation. He's like, "This isn't what I'm fighting for," and that's when his buildings attacked. You lose. So that's uh, you're right. That's a that's a lot. There's a lot of thought in that moment. You know, he sympathizes, or at least understands the motivation of the Wolverines. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, when he sees them and just kind of lets them go, I mean, he knows they're not gonna 
fight anymore. He sees that like they're shot and stuff. Yeah, it's like professional courtesy. I feel like you know Absolutely. he's 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 like he's like I'm you know hats off to you boys type thing. He's he's like I I, I think it was almost in a sense that he wanted them to see that he was done. Like if this is the last thing you see, know you had an you know like that's kind of a way you could think about it. I feel. Yeah. But. No. It's it's one of these things where. It, again, it humanizes the bad guys, if you will. It humanizes the film, and no one wants to be where they're... Well, I don't want to say no one, but a lot of them don't want to be where they are in that moment. And guess right. what? Uh, you know, we, we Like we said, we get two people who escape to freedom, and they live to tell the tale. But then we kind of just get like an ending with a, vo- uh, a Leia Thompson voiceover. But there's a, yeah, like, that- a plaque... <laughs> Yeah, and, and it just says like, okay, we just like assume like, says like, yeah, we we won the war. There's no there's no uh, epilogue about like what happened. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, eventually other troops came, but you know these kids started it all. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know, it's but it is funny that like because they mention like, hey Jed, people have heard of you in California. You know, you you've inspired other uprisings. You know, it's that so that is talked about throughout the movie. Or at least a few times it's mentioned that that they're that they've gained a name for themselves. I almost wish, and I don't know if it's like better or worse for the propaganda aspect. I almost wish it was one of those things like maybe they didn't succeed, but then we see like other revolutions start to pop right. up. Right, they say they're the martyrs. Yeah, you know. So, huh. and I think that you know that that's possibly what they were alluding to when they say like people have do people are getting hope. You know. Yeah. And I and you know you said we had power say like oh they're if you can hold out till spring, they're talking about dropping green berets. So, and they die just before, or well, you know, what is just before spring, you know? Yeah. So, again, they're liberated. Yay, America wins. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I, you'd like a little bit more epilogue, I feel. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I like the mystery, but also I'm so invested at this point. <laughs> right. That right. I do want to know about, like, the, the lore behind this film. I mean, any other particular like scenes or, or things in the film that you wanted to mention or talk about? I think we covered most of it. I think it would make, I mean, I think we've seen this concept play out in like some really great video games. The same idea, you know, look at, uh, look at the Wolfenstein series, you know, the alternate, like not, I mean, not the original one so much, but the, the new ones for like Xbox where it's like, Nope, the Nazis won world war two. And, uh, you know, it's up to you to, liberate <laughs> you know it's it's i think you've gotten you've seen this plot point a little bit you know even going into literature with philip k dick and the man in the high castle mm-hmm. um you've seen this these alternate histories before but not play out to this manner you know philip k dick's more of um uh an ideologic fight you know with, with man in the high castle it's it's more about subversion and how how the, the pen can be mightier than the sword type thing but I think this is a, a, a different take on, hey, this is what, you know, that same idea, but if we actually had to fight, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so there's a, there's more to unpack here than meets the eye. So with all that in mind, though, but before we rate the film, just wanted to mention some other things in my notes. So there was supposed to be a Red Dawn 2 that I believe in the 90s, but um, the wall fell, the Cold War was over, and there wasn't much appetite for it anymore. Yeah, we lost our best bad guys. Same reason the Bond movies dipped for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The other thing um, that I was going to mention that I thought was a 
interesting fact. When this was um, being promoted, one of the taglines was something along the lines of, America, there's never been an invasion on American soil till now. And it, it, it upset the people in Alaska because there was technically like the Aleutian Island campaign. Yeah, during World War II. Yeah. 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 So, like, that's not accurate. You know, it said mainland USA, but like, yeah. Alaska, Alaska doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, Alaska doesn't count. But, <laughs> but obviously. Well, does. to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, that wasn't quite America in. World War Two because it wasn't a state till no it wasn't a state but <laughs> they did issue an apology to Alaska yes <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not trying to offend Alaska either I <laughs> so yeah sorry <laughs> we'd be really pissed if somebody invaded you for of sure. course so according to Rotten Tomatoes and I knew this was going to be a polarizing film um, 46 percent of the critics liked it. So not very high, but sixty-five percent of the audience, which is considerably higher. I, mean, I could that's that's probably about what I would have expected. Yeah, I don't think I this think. movie's for everyone, especially if you have uh you know, very grounded political views, you know, one way or another. I could see where you might be offended, or if you know someone who's just using this as a propaganda film. But I right. was just looking at this like a teenage action adventure film that made me think, hmm. I wonder, but again, it didn't cause me to be like, "Oh my God, I'm scared. I need to." It, well, shoot that's people. how I. That's like how I always watched it. Was just like, "Oh man, you know, like, cool." And it's I. I not gonna lie, I put you know pen to paper and thought a lot more about it, knowing I had to talk about it an hour and a half with you. <laughs> of course, you know. So, <laughs> this is my. This is probably my first time, like, really, like, you know, not just watching it but analyzing it. <laughs> yeah, if you if you think too much, maybe, but. Just, I don't want to say have fun with all the deaths, but it is, uh, like I said, it's one of the most unique films I have ever seen. And, and and that's saying something. So on High School Slumber Party, Dan, we rate things based on like a report card, like a grade. Now, from A plus to F, what will you rate Red Dawn? I mean, like I said, I just genuinely enjoy this movie. I'm on the fence between, I'd say A minus, because it's, it's not my f- favorite high school movie, but it's up there. And no, I, I do, know you really love this film. So. Yeah, no, no. And it accomplished, it was a lot, again, a lot more there than I thought was there. And, uh, you know, between the cast, between the storyline, like it's, it's, a, it's a really good watch. And I think a lot of different people can really enjoy this movie for a lot of different reasons. So just in a broad sense, it's a fun watch. And then if you do want to, you know, hammer down and play the game of risk, you know, Red Dawn style, you can get into, you know, the deep dive on the geopolitics and why, what might work, what make what makes sense about it, what doesn't. You can actually have that very interesting discussion. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I figured you were going to rate it high. I totally understand that. I actually, you know, I think I'm going to give it a B minus because overall, I really enjoyed it like watching the film. I didn't have problems. Um, again, I'm not, you know, film doesn't make me think one way or another. It, think, right. yes, but not like change my lifestyle or change my beliefs. I, I kind of, you know, those are kind of set for me, so I'm not going to just become a different person from watching Red Dawn. But I really what about enjoy... Red, what about Red Sonia, the sequel? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the true <laughs> sequel. Um, no, I, uh, I just really... 
had a kind of a good time watching the movie. You know, it didn't feel like it dragged. No, it's definitely not. Definitely not a drag, and it, it's it's paced very well, and it's it's an engaging watch for regardless. You know what I mean? Like it keeps your it keeps the action going. It keeps your attention. It's it doesn't really bore at any point. I appreciate it again how this was just such a different film than I'm used to watching on this podcast. So. For that reason, that's why it's probably going to get a B-minus for me. Now, uh, Rent-Run movies get too free. Dan, we're having our slumber party. We're, you know, walking through the aisles of Blockbuster. But, you know, Blockbuster today, because you can rent anything you want. We've rented Red Dawn for our slumber party. What other film are we renting? Well, let's keep the cast together. Let's go with Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and you can have Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Grey. Oh, yeah, he's in there, uh, too. In there, and then you have Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good night. That's a good night. A good, <laughs> solid, you know, films that we're going to enjoy, I think. And very different. But I say, if you have, it's a big slumber party. There's a lot of people you got to appease. <laughs> like, you know. Speaking of slumber party, what Red Dawn-themed sleeping bag are you bringing to the slumber party? Well, I feel like if it's true Red Dawn, like, it would have to be, like, I would just go to a, a Russian military surplus oh, yeah. sleeping bag. Or, at least in the initial sense, you don't have a sleeping bag at first. No. <laughs> you know? No, but I would <laughs> – I, I like what you first said, like, just like a Russian-issued army surplus store sleeping one bag. That ha- one that probably already has, like, bloodstains on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's probably what they would have been sleeping in later, right? Like, Yeah. It's whatever you can grab. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, if there's nothing else you want to mention about Red Dawn, feel free to plug whatever you want, maybe where people can follow you, or, or again, anything you want. Anything left you want to say about Red Dawn? I think we covered it uh, pretty well. Um, if anybody wants to talk deeper with it on me, that's that's their prerogative. Hit me up. Um, I don't have much social media, but you can find my Instagram, which is mostly my dog and some motorcycles. <laughs> but uh, what am I on Instagram? I'm my old AOL name, Black Label One D, on that, Instagram. That's your Instagram. I thought it was a panda thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Shit, you're right. You're absolutely right. I just gave you the wrong Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Broken Panda eighty seven, which is the same as my Xbox gamer tag. If you that's know. what it is. Yes, Broken that's Panda eighty seven. That's what it was. Wow, I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> whatever. Find me on Xbox or AOL. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming right. on, and we'll hear from you again soon. Hey, always a pleasure. Wolverines! <laughs> Big thank you to Dan for stopping by and chatting all about Red Dawn. And thank you to Kyle as well. Remember, guys, check out all the other great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That's cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Remember, Fridays are for fun. Tom Tom Club. Check that out as well. Oh, oh my God. I almost forgot to assign you your homework. Maybe it's because I've been hit by Cupid's arrow because February 14th is next Friday. That means it's our special Valentine's Day episode. Amor, yes. And what better way to discuss Valentine's Day, to just bring in the Valentine's Day cheer, by talking about perhaps the greatest love story of all. That's the love story between Bella and Edward or Jacob? Hmm, that's right. We're on our second tour, guys. Twilight, New Moon. The Volturi are the closest thing my world has to royalty. They enforce the law. Vampires have laws. You're a human who knows entirely too much about us. They could kill us all. 
don't belong in my world, Bella. I belong with you. This is the last time you'll ever see me. Please just promise me you won't do anything reckless. It's like a huge hole has been punched through my chest. I know what he did to you, but Bella, I would never, ever do that. There's only one way I know to see him. So, you're an adrenaline junkie now? Tori, he wants to die too. He left you, Bella. He didn't want you anymore. I have to go. He's gonna make a scene. The Voltori will kill him if he reveals himself in the sunlight. No, Edward, don't! I'm scared. If you're a fan of this show, if you listened before, you know who my guest is. It's the great, the wonderful, the Twilight expert, Kate Hudson. I can't wait for her to help me understand New Moon. It's my first time watching. And happy early Valentine's Day. Can't wait to maybe get past some of those paper Valentines in class. Oh wait, I'm the teacher. That's weird. Or is it? I don't know. Maybe they have like a teacher card. Anyway, thanks so much guys for listening to Red Dawn. Thanks for doing your homework, as always. I leave you with just another random score from the Red Dawn soundtrack. Later, dudes! It's over. Go home. Go.